Welcome to another episode on my abuse series. Today, I have Brianna Carter of BNC Original and freelance writer of the blog MamaKnowsNada.com. Today, she is here discussing mental, emotional abuse and also her struggle with anorexia and her success leaving that space. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Stay with me. Hello, everyone. This is Meredith with a Y, and I am your host, Meredith Willett. Today, we are going to go deep, changing lives, and I am giving you the keys to the castle. Welcome today to Brianna Carter. I want to give a trigger warning today. We are going to be discussing abuse, all of physical, mental, emotional. We're also going to be discussing anorexia and eating disorders. So if this is not in line with something that you can listen to today, if it is not comfortable for you, please press stop now. Brianna, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story. I'm super excited to get into a completely new topic that we haven't discussed, which is eating disorders and all of this stuff. So welcome today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I think it's all important topics that we should share as much as possible about. Yeah, this is, this has been, I mean, it's thick. It's thick (laughs) and it's only going to get thicker as we move forward in these topics, but I think it's super important to discuss. And I've been so lucky to have such gracious and vulnerable guests like yourself, because basically, you know, who you are today is not who you or your mom was years ago. It's taken you a while to get to this place. This is not the same person you both were and are. And so let's kind of rewind back into time so that we can share with people how we got to today. Because as with all lives, it's a journey. Everyone looks at us today and go, gosh, they're so put together. They've got it. <laughs> they just know what's up. And she's just so, oh my gosh. And it's like, no, this isn't what it's always looked like. No, I think the thing we can't drive home enough at any stage in life is we're all just figuring it out day by day. So to kind of do a flashback. My parents divorced when I was younger. My mom had always been physically, emotionally, and mentally abusive. We used to joke as kids, if we came home from school and the furniture was rearranged, we weren't going to get beat that day, which, you know, in retrospect, it was kind of funny, but in the heat of the moment, it was like this huge relief when you walked into the house. What do you think that was? What do you, what do you think that process was? Was it her releasing stress? Uh-huh. Yeah. Stress, anxiety. I think the, the other important factor to drive home and to just kind of touch on here is she came from a very abusive household. She was one of six kids very Irish Catholic Italian family. The maternal matriarch was a very strong with the iron fist kind of person. As we record, we're recording this, my, my grandmother, she's, she's been dead about a year buried on my mom's birthday, actually. So there's a lot tied into that. And for me as a kid growing up, you just thought the problem was you, like it was my fault. And then again, the Catholic guilt thing, you're taught that you don't defy mom and dad. You're, you're taught to be obedient. You're taught all these things, but you're just like, you're scared, you know, you're scared of your caregivers, you're scared to speak out. And my dad was working at the time, you know, anywhere from two to three jobs, anywhere from 80 to over a hundred hours a week. So he wasn't present enough to know. And when daddy got there, it was like a break for everybody. You know, daddy could read the stories. He could kind of be the hero. Mommy wasn't going to lash out. She was given a little bit of reprieve that she also needed. And I, I think that's the interesting thing about our moms or like our parents in general is that 
especially that generation, they were shown a way to be a parent and they didn't know how to do anything different from that. And so here you are flash forwarding to me. I have an almost four-year-old son and I knew exactly what I didn't want to be, but I didn't know how to get there. And I can circle back to that later. But I remember just being terrified. I remember just like a, a moment, like my mom got so upset because my brother wasn't crying. And so she, she beat him and she drug him across the floor by his ear. I think because he was the boy, he probably got the the worst amount of it. Um, him and my sister, she had a mouth on her from a young age and would sass back, which, you know, standing up for herself, which is great, but that's not what we did in our household. And so I got to observe, and I actually remember a lot more of the physical trauma that they experienced than more so than they do, which is an interesting kind of psychological thing. You know, we all have our ways to cope, our coping mechanisms. And I don't know if anybody like wants, if I should get into any specifics, but you know, there's time where we like, we're locked out of the house and, you know, my brother was locked out in a snowstorm because he didn't help with groceries. So like all these things, and you're just wondering like, what did I do wrong as a kid? And then you just try to always please people. Yeah. And you can't, you can't ever, because at the end of the day, I wasn't the problem, you know, like her frustration and anger was taken out on me, but it wasn't because of me. It was because of a million other things that I can't even begin to project onto her, but I can, you know, as a mom now, as a wife, now I could see she didn't have the tools to communicate what it was she needed. Therefore we for the brunt of that, you know, um, an example of like an emotional mental abuse when my, she got remarried, she told me, and I remember this so vividly. She's like, well, at least you had a good life up until now. I was like nine. Okay. <laughs> like, like I knew anything else in my, you know, suburban neighborhood. And she's like, at least you had a good life until now. These girls I've had it way worse than you. And I was like, what the, what the hell does that even mean? Like your new step siblings, the, yeah. the, the man she was marrying's kids. Yeah. yeah. So she, they had it worse than me, but like as a nine-year-old, I didn't even know what that, like, why is my mom saying that to me? And what does that even mean? And I should be grateful. And I was like, okay, but, but what? Like that just, I mean, and the disassociation in my brain was very strong with some of the statements that she had made. So probably about the time I was like 13, 14, going into high school, I started exercising more and eating less and kind of trying to control my situation the only way I could, which was through food. And the only, cause the only thing I could control in all the chaos. And I mean, I think I lived in like six different houses and like four years and all these inconsistencies was it's controlling my weight is the only thing that was within my wheelhouse of capability to define myself, you know? And at first it was, you know, I was never an overweight or obese kid. I was always active and dance, you know, basketball, whatever. But once people started like, oh, you look like you lost a few pounds. You look really good. Then as like a rising freshman going into ninth grade and I weighed nine. 85 pounds at like five, six, probably not the healthiest I could be. And I didn't realize that's what I was doing, but it was, it was like, again, like a coping mechanism, a defense mechanism, like no matter what happens to me, I can still feel beautiful in the skin and I can still control what I eat and I can still make my body look the way I want it to, or the way I feel is best for me. And again, a lot of levels of, you know, psychology in there, but yeah, that's kind of like the little nuggeted version of how I, 
right? see the anorexic. <laughs> yeah. And when you were talking about the anorexia, because I, I had the same experience in high school where food became something that you can control, something that no one can take away from you. And actually our parents' generation sees being thin as being very, very good. Yeah. I don't know if that's like by way of the depression, their parents or what, but I know that um, I've heard a lot of women kind of in our generation talk about their parents and being thin is very, very held high. So no one's going to stop you from being thin. No one's going to stop you from working out. It's in line with our parents' values. So it's very in line with something they want us to do, but it's still our little safe space. So, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's, I, I would control my bedroom by keeping it immaculate so that there was no, there was nothing that anyone could say about it. It was, mm-hmm. so I was always managing what I could control, my cleanliness of my bedrooms, how organized my drawers were, because that was always a, a, a bone of contention in our house. My family's Irish as well. And so, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they see a little similarities. And, and so then, yeah, so I remember, you know, going for miles and miles and miles of walks and doing one workout tape after another and getting down to, I think I was 137 pounds, five foot, nine and a half. And my gym teacher actually telling me that my BMI at that time was like just body fat percentage was like 14% was too high. (laughs) Right. Welcome to 1988, 1989. But yeah, I mean, it did definitely make you when everything else was cloudy, that was shiny. When everything else was unknown and uncontrollable, that was known and controllable. So it became like the anorexia, the the weight, the food, the working out is an escape from everything negative because you're you're going for a workout, you're going to the gym, you're going to the gym for two hours. Mm-hmm. You're going for a five, six mile walk every single night with your friends and your mom's not going to stop you because it's a positive in her eyes. You're losing weight, you know, so it does, it does make a lot of sense. But like, as, as you're saying about the weight and about the anorexia, that's just one way to control and check out. Yeah, absolutely. I think that when you are like what you're saying with, you know, it's shiny and beautiful and all these things it's easy for people to kind of label it as she's just taking care of her health. But you also, and like you're saying, like the clean room couldn't have a point of contention. If I'm doing all these things right, I will not be hurt. I will not be impacted. I will not be this. I will not be that. And you creating a safe and in your brain, a safe environment and working out excessively for me cleared my headspace. So I wasn't, cause I was angry and had aggression. So it helped me get it out in a positive way, but that's not everybody's experience. Like, you know, my cousins, for example, a lot of them turned to drugs and alcohol and that was their crutch to get through their experiences. So these kind of coping mechanisms can manifest in very destructive ways. And as we can see with like anorexia, bulimia, that just a total, I mean, all your systems can malfunction if you maintain it and you keep going and you keep going with it, you will literally fall apart or wither away to nothing. Same like your liver could ex- explode or disintegrate if you're drinking too much, or, you know, you could put something up your nose the wrong way and there goes your brain. You know, we, we unfortunately have seen this happen in our culture regularly. And so in a way, I guess it was like a quote unquote, good thing that mine manifested in anorexia. I was always really scared to try drugs and mm-hmm. didn't really start drinking you know, until yeah. I, was, I was like, 
I don't know what that's going to do to me. And then Plus, we would get in trouble. We didn't exactly. get in trouble for being skinny. You're not going to get in trouble for going for a walk or a run or not eating, but you're going to get in trouble if you come home drunk. Now it's a yeah. double double. You know what I yep. mean? You might be checked out, but not for long because they're going to pick you up and know. <laughs> you're going to feel that. You're going to feel that impact later. Yeah, exactly. So I was scared. Exactly. I was scared to try anything as well as like on all the levels. But I think it's really important to point out that certain things manifest for the wrong ways. So losing weight and taking care of my body isn't necessarily a bad thing. It was the manner in which I did it and for how long that it was. Like, I think I counted calories well into my twenties and your body needs more food than you think it does, but it has to be like the right foods. And I think taking the time and space to like clear my head and kind of realize why I was behaving in certain ways and the way it was impacting my overall health is, was really important. And again, that took a lot of time. I have a much healthier relationship with food as the mid thirties person, because I'm not living in fear. There's not a lot of trauma in my life. There's, you know, of course my husband and I aren't perfect all the time. I'm never going to pretend that. And my son gets on my nerves and I probably snap at him more than, than I should from time to time. But I always look back. Okay. What am I not going to choose to be? How am I going to make sure that I'm doing the healthiest option, not just for myself, but for my family? And I think that when you're looking into things like, or when you're analyzing your life choices or like how many glasses of wine do you have? You know, in certain countries, it's really not bad to have a couple glasses every day, but it's, do you need that wine when you wake up? Are you craving that like cigarettes or do you need, you know, THC for you to really unwind? Like, what is it that you're escaping by doing what you're doing? And if you can say that you're not escaping, then but you have to be honest with yourself. That's the other tricky part is that you have to be really willing to look in that mirror and say, oh shit, I, I probably am working out too much. I probably don't need three glasses of wine because it's helping me deal with my toddler. I need to figure out a better coping mechanism or a better way to engage with my lifestyle right now so that it's because your kids watch everything too. So so they will pick up on the things. So I think that's also really important. Like, and it's hard to have a lot, it's hard to find that balance that's right for you. But I think that you have to kind of look at yourself and be like, okay, where am I leaning too hard into something that might not be ideal for me long-term? What can I do to make it better? Or what can I do to change that behavior? And that's kind of like where my healing journey started. So I think it's kind of, it's all tied together, you know, from being abused to being anorexic to the healing thing. It's, it's like, but the, the, the thing that I always come back to is how you have to be willing to seek the truth of your, about yourself and what you need as a human being. Yeah. So when did you finally kind of look in the mirror and go, all right, this food working out thing is, is kind of getting wacky or I don't need it anymore. I don't need to have this much control over my body. So by the time I was in college, I had been to three different high schools and by my last high school. So really started my anorexia when I was about 13, like in eighth grade. And so by the time I was a senior, I was in my third high school and I didn't have a lot of friends and I thought I was really outgoing and apparently I came off as snobby or something, which I found out later, which was bizarre to me. Okay. I was a new girl, uh, but all right. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that's a different topic for a different day. And I was so 
like sad and depressed by being like an outcast that I couldn't really, my aspirations like change, like, how do I fit in? How do I find friends? And for someone who was a people pleaser and always trying to do right, I didn't realize that me be trying to be engaged and, uh, you know, like friendly with people was actually putting them off. <laughs> so I don't really know how right. I could have, what I could have done differently at that point in time. But again, I, I internalized that. And so when I graduated high school and finally like went into college, I was just working three jobs and, you know, can't afford food. I'm taking 18 credits a semester. All of my energies were kind of accidentally redirected into more productive, positive, independent building activities that day by day, month by month, year by year, I started to lose focus on the calories and staying thin. And I just tried to stay healthy and have fun. And I will say that it took probably most of my twenties into like my late twenties to get to a place where I could feel good by eating and drinking whatever I wanted, but also working out to a healthy degree without jeopardizing what that impact was on my body long-term without like being hyper about calorie counts, but without being like hyper about working out where I kind of could just be like, okay, well, I'm having a couple beers after work tonight. That's fine. Cause I worked a 16 hour shift on my feet at the bar, you know? right, <laughs> like right. having that balance, you know? Um, and it also allowing for fun in my life and not necessarily living a regimented structure or by this like OCD kind of thing, you know, cause in a way like that, that militant behavior of anorexia is very closely can be closely related to like an OCD kind of thing. So it's definitely a, a journey. And I would say by now in my mid thirties, I have kind of like, I'll look at things like, am I having too much sugar? Am I eating too many, you know, pirate's booty or goldfish? Cause those are processed foods. Probably again, not the best thing to eat on a regular basis, but necessary when you have toddlers who are always hungry and just kind of making sure that it's okay. Once in a while, it's okay. A few times a week, but let's make sure what we're fueling our body with is more nutrient dense, more accessible, you know, is it local? Like, and kind of just like changing my relationship with food by being more informed, being more aware of myself, being more aware of my family and what we all need as individual segments, as well as like the group entity. Yeah. And when you're talking about like kind of moving away, you know, into college, you can see, you know, just that energy of not being as nervous, not being as worried, not being, because I always look at if you have these emotions that you are not allowed to, I'm sure you were not allowed to just go up to your mom and tell her, Hey, kind of sick of you beating the shit out of us. You know, like it's getting old. Don't like the outburst. And so, and then you also have these situations at at school. So you don't even have a solace there. And Mm -hmm. so you have all this weird energy at school. And I always look at addictions as stuffing your emotions down. Mm -hmm. So even though you weren't stuffing it down necessarily with food, you were stuffing it down by way of this distraction of controlling what goes in your mouth, of how Mm -hmm. you spend your days, of working out. And my dad's always told me, you know, be be mindful if you have an addictive personality, because a lot of times people that do, which addictive personality, doesn't that just mean traumatized? I mean, let's be honest, right? 
Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. It just came to me in one second. So if you are a traumatized person for whatever reason and then have turned to some sort of an addiction, um, unless you heal that trauma, by the way, this is all coming to me as we speak. Um, If you don't heal that trauma, you will jump from one addiction to another. So Mm -hmm. it would go from food to working out to maybe too much wine or to smoking or whatever. For myself, it was like I was 16 and a cigarette became freedom because Mm. I- I could, I didn't smoke in front of my parents. So when I was smoking, I was free. I was uh-huh. on lunch at school. It was in college. I was with my friends on vacation, whatever that looked like smoking was freedom. And it took until probably two years ago, I quit on and off my whole life, but it took until a couple of years ago to recognize that the promise of that cigarette, that promise of freedom, the promise of the distraction of anorexia, the promise of the distraction of oxy or whatever your drug of choice is, listeners, even if it's shopping or sex or whatever, Uh that promise of that addiction to take away or distract you from your trauma eventually becomes a lie. Mm -hmm. It does. And it's interesting that you bring that up before I went to college. I used to always like have like X-Lax tabs like in my Sure. I was a no-dose yeah. girl. I was a no-dose. Yeah. So I would be so buzzed up. I didn't want to eat. And you're ex-laxing. We all have our <laughs> drug of choice, right? I love that's good stuff. <laughs> I remember, and this caused a huge controversy um, in my household. I was living with my dad at the time, getting parents divorced, all big mess. And um, his wife, now ex-wife, was like sneaking through my drawer and found these X-lax tabs. And they're like, why we thought you were over this? And I was like, I am. But it's just like an alcoholic going into a bar, recovered alcoholic. If you can go into a bar and you can sit and watch your friend drink, you know, that's how you know you've cleared the steps, right? Kind of a similar thing. I never was in AA or anything like that. But those principles of have you really beaten the thing that you're struggling to or that's breaking you down or that's holding you back or you know, helping you cope with all these terrible emotions and all your trauma. Like, have you beat the trauma or have you not? And I'm, I'm sure there's still things that I still need to work on, but that symbol of having these, you know, tabs in accessible to me and not wanting them, not needing them, not utilizing them was a big like sign that I had conquered this at least part of my trauma, you know, like I didn't need it to feel good or in control anymore. So it's, it was, it was a really interesting come to Jesus moment, if you will. I was like, ah, look at that. They're right there, dude. Ah, They've been here the whole time. They've been here the whole time. And I wasn't (laughs) searching for them like a mad Uh woman, right? In the middle after eating something. Mm -hmm. So you were with your mom and you have a relationship now, clearly, as we mm-hmm. started the, this whole thing with, but you didn't for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so how does like, how does that work? How, Cause I mean, I know that there's people that take breaks or have a pause, you know, or whatever. Well, how yeah. did your pause when you finally said, I can't. So it was like a, a couple step journey, I'll say. Um, so when my mom got remarried to this stepdad, I had ended up going to live with my dad for like a year and a half. And then I kind of got lonely. I was at my first high school. All my friends, I was living in Baltimore at the time. All my friends were in Pennsylvania. Even though I had really good friends in Baltimore, I just felt like out of place, I guess for, I don't know. It's like, I didn't really belong and I couldn't really put my finger on it. And I think also part of that was I was used to being like on the go and moving houses so frequently that I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I should go somewhere. Right. Um, and we, that's again, a whole other like nomadic thing, right. It's all layered in there. And 
So I moved back to Pennsylvania for about six months, finished out my sophomore year of high school there. Uh, my mom and I got into a fight. She hit me in the face and it was the first time I didn't cry. I just looked at her and I just like turned my head back at her like, okay, whatever. Called my boyfriend. He came to get me. My brother came to pick me up and I was back with my dad. So didn't really speak to her for the my last two years of high school. Kind of reconnected in college. I would see her periodically she worked close by to my university. It was in Towson University outside of Baltimore. And then we, I didn't want her to come to my college graduation because I didn't feel like she had any part of me achieving that, um, which she was not happy about and understandably so. And so we didn't really talk for like the next, well, that was like, I was 22 until my like I was in my late twenties. Um, I moved to California, all this stuff and started going to therapy uh, when I moved out there. Cause my step, my dad's ex-wife is my stepmom. She was a little bit of a control freak too. So she had some part in some of this at the latter end as well, but ended up moving to California kind of just to get away and have like a fresh start and not have anybody be telling me who I needed to be, where I needed to go, what I was capable of, what I should and shouldn't do. I was like, hey, I'm just going to figure out this shit on my own because y'all don't have your <laughs> shit figured out. And you're trying to tell me how to adult, like, stop, you can right. all stop. You can all stop. hundred percent. And, you know, it's always easier to tell someone else what to do than it is for you to go do it yourself. Um, I'm sure we all have friends like that. You just need to. Oh, if you just, and you're like, no, 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 no. Like, stop. Should, should, should. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I put a whole continent in between us for about eight years. And I was fired from my job right after like my 29th birthday, like the spring after. And uh, I was like, oh shit, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> I got about all this freedom. So I was driving back to live with my dad in Key West, how terrible, and um, mm. kind of figure out plan B. And I was driving through Texas and my mom lived at San Antonio at the time. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to see what she's open for and how much of the truth she's willing to hear from me, like my experience. And we sat down for like six hours and had a lot of, had a lot of beer. And I just went through like all the things. And I was just like, I don't know why. And basically at the end of it, I was like, I don't know why you had to hand us your bag of shit because it's not, it wasn't mine. Like it wasn't your trauma and your struggles with your parents weren't mind to hold. And we didn't need to be the outlet for your insecurities and your trauma and all the other things that I'm not going to project onto her. Cause I don't know all the stuff. And after that, it was just like little by little, you know, I was living in a different state. And so when you had that conversation, I don't want to interrupt, but I also don't want to lose this moment when you are sitting in, I'm assuming her house in San Antonio. Uh, we're at a bar in Austin. Okay. So you met, <laughs> Okay, cool. Neutral ground, neutral, neutral ground. ground. Okay. <laughs> so she meets you at this bar in Austin. You guys sit down for six hours and she's uncomfortable. She's allowing, she's listening. She's apologizing. What is she doing when you're kind of letting this all out? Like receptive and accepting. Really? She, yeah. She um, was, took it all in. I'm sure there's things that she doesn't agree with or doesn't you know, think doesn't remember happened or doesn't, you know, but we, we all internalized things differently. Like someone's intention is different than my 
you know, my perception, right? So my intention with her was to just tell her all the ways that I had felt pain and all the ways that I didn't feel like that pain was mine to hold for me to feel like I could move forward as a human being and give her the chance to show that she had changed. And because she actually listened and huge, huge. was huge, you know, huge. she showed that she had growth that she was, even if she wasn't where she wanted to be or needed to be for me to be in a relationship with her, she still was onto something that she was showing me. She wasn't the same person she was, you know, the 10 years before the 20 years before. And I thought that was a promising note, you know? And the other thing that I kind of came to terms with through a lot of therapy was that she didn't know how to be anything other than what she was shown. She didn't know didn't realize she had choices. She didn't realize there was ways, different ways of doing stuff. She didn't realize there's this whole world of options out there to explore about how to parent different methods, different styles, different psychological breakdowns of what kids need, how to engage with kids, all that kind of stuff. You know, it wasn't just, it's not one dimensional, right? There's different ways to be a good parent, you know, and kids need different things. Yelling, spanking, control, yeah, yelling, yeah. spent, rinse, repeat. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like the church 101, like just yeah. bring down the Catholic iron fist and yeah. teach your kids into submission to be seen and not heard. Don't talk back. Like all mm-hmm. of that stuff, squash, squash, squish, squish, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, just keep everything yep. tight. I mean, that's, that's one oh one. I remember my mom telling me that, cause that was in the seventies. I was born in 72. I'm the oldest. And my mom telling me about like the Dr. Spock came out and she was like, I'm not listening to that crap. And I'm like, why, <laughs> why didn't you this? Anything would have been fantastic. Like, you know, like I just, it just anything, but that kind of old school lead with an iron fist kind of concept, my way or the highway mother knows best. Right. Yeah. So I, I hate to, I, sorry to interrupt. It's, okay. I, it's just my brain brain is like catching on to all these, like, yeah, like there are and were other options. Yeah. You know, we have tons now. I mean, now we can't get Let's... out of a self-help situation. Like if it's not a podcast or a social media meme, right. It's a book right. or, or, or a TV show or whatever. So there's obviously, and, and and now we know better, we're knowing better, we're doing better. You know, I don't hit my kids. Um, and I tell people all the time, like, stop beating your children for the love of God, like get a book, but there it's were something. some, Get something, something. <laughs> a punching bag. <laughs> yeah, like know that if that much anger is in you, and that is your only way to control your children, you're a shitty parent. Yeah, <laughs> you like, are the problem. You <laughs> may be kid. the problem, and so you <laughs> might want to look into that a little bit. And I, you know, it's, it's always you know the the people that are like, you, you, there's they they do fit into a box, and I hate to say that, but they do. It's you know, and it but it goes back to they're still in line with that mm-hmm. beat the hell out of your kids mother knows best you need to be under my control at yeah. all times and you know and no expression from children i don't need to know your expression of self but but these books are not new i mean dr spock these things were out there in the 70s we, they did have some things that they could have you know tapped into it wasn't as maybe available they are a product of their parents mm-hmm the fact that your mom sat there and did not deny, I mean, I just give her so much credit to just sit there and hold that space of allowing you, whether it was hit her truth or not. Yeah. It was your truth. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she was willing to, I know this is going to sound great, but to take it, she had to take it. 
you are handing it over. You're like, here, I'm giving this back. I'm giving 20, 30 years of junk back to you that I no longer am going to carry. And now you can carry it Mm because I was I was nine. P.S. I was nine years old. Right. I was 12. And and I, I see, like you're saying, there was such a huge opening for you to be able to say, holy crap, she's open to this. She she wants to hear me now. And I think if it, it's that six hour, I'm sure, extremely gut-wrenching conversation from her end. It yeah. had to be so painful because even if my kids like say anything I do bad as a mom, it's so painful. It is. I don't like hearing that I'm not a great mom. I don't like hearing that they hate the food that I make. I don't like hearing that I was late to pick them up when they were in third grade and I screwed up. Like, I don't want to hear it either. But if more parents were open to being in pain for six hours, you can get to 2.0. You can get to the next chapter, but I don't Uh think you can get to the next chapter when you're still holding 30 years of pain. Uh Uh-huh. And she's still pushing it back on you. Yeah, you can't. You if can't you, get there. you can't, you can't, if no one's willing to make a change. And I couldn't at the time before that moment, I couldn't have said my, my piece in a productive manner. It would have been very accusatory and very harsh. And I tried not to be harsh. I tried just to be straightforward and honest. Like there was, there was definitely a part of me for a long time who just wanted to make her feel what I had felt over all those years. But at a certain time, like you had to be, I had to be the bigger person, you know, and just say, this is why I haven't really wanted to speak to you. I don't like the way I was treated. I don't think it was fair. I don't think it was right. I don't think it was productive. I'm a person too. And I know you might not have meant to hurt me, but you really, really did. And I just wasn't sure that I could be in a relationship or look at my, that woman as my mother anymore. And that's a hard thing to hear because, you know, especially when you give birth to your child, it's like, oh, you can't imagine them ever turning their backs on you or not appreciating you as mom and dad or or whomever you are as a couple um, or partnership. So I can imagine how tough that was on her. And I'm just like to just be able to like get rid of it. Even if she doesn't want to pick it, but she doesn't have to pick it back up. I don't want her to do that because that's a whole other level of guilt and stuff too. But just to like let her know what my perception of all the chaos was and how I needed her to be a mom to me, not a mom to my stepsisters and like that kind of thing. Like you guys divorced. My whole life was uprooted. We like there was a lot just in that section. You know, divorce can be a very traumatic thing, especially when it's not nice and evenly sliced, if you will. And ours, yeah. theirs was not a pretty divorce. So, and then you'd layer in all these different things, and and you know, all the stuff, all the moves, all the this, all the that, and it's like this wasn't what was best for me. And all I can do now as an adult, and what I realized was like I can choose to let it impact me. I can choose to let it control me and bring me down. I can choose to let it, you know, kind of bend my thinking or, or I can try to get past it, get through it, leave it where it is 20 years in the past and try anew for myself, 
for my mom, with my mom, I should say, and with my family now, because I didn't want to be a mom. I was petrified to being a mom because I was afraid that all these things were ingrained in our DNA. It's a book called Bad Genes. I've only skimmed it because it's a little, little beyond me. <laughs> and it, it, it talks about like genetic codes and like how, you know, are there, is there such a thing called like bad genes out there and you just get them, right? And as much as I think that genetics and there's a lot of things, like I look at my son and I can see all this stuff. I think that if you're given the opportunity and you really want to, if you really want to, you can change a pattern. You can change a cycle. You can choose another option. And for me, I, I think I've, I have hit my son on the butt once. Yeah. I mean, we all have that one, like, have you lost your, but I mean, I know, like, who are you child? <laughs> what is this deep? And my son's brilliant. He is such a good kid. Like I can't even, I feel bad. Like, but when he, there's like, you know, that one or two moments where I'm like, I don't know what spawn of Satan you just came from in this moment, but that is not okay. I think I slapped his hand one time because he kept slapping me in the face. And I was like, Declan, stop. Oof. Right. I immediately telling myself, like, I immediately go to my husband and I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) and he's like, okay, well, what's this, you know, and like, but how do you get better? You know, like, how do you choose to be better? Like, and I think that's the most important thing is raising a kid with intention, you know, letting my son be who he is, as long as he's not harming himself or someone else, Um, listening to him, telling him, I do not know. Yeah. I think is a really good thing as apologizing. When you're wrong, I apologize to my son probably 10 times a day. Sorry. And I do raise my voice at him sometimes. And I have started to say, Declan, if you don't listen, mommy needs to use her loud voice. Right. Because I need you to understand our behavior and our actions need to change. Not in 20 minutes right now. Like this morning I was like, I don't have time for tears, kid. Let's put your shoes on. <laughs> you know, like I want you to feel your feels. I want you to be a responsible young child and young man with, you know, emotional empathy and emotional intelligence. But right now I ain't got time for your tears. Like However, your comma, <laughs> get the shoes on. We got to go. <laughs> I love. <laughs> and so like, as we're talking about like all this parenting stuff, and I know that you have your mama knows not a blog. Mm-hmm. Is that that like, are you discussing these types of things on your blog? I mean, is it about all of this stuff? Yeah. So I do a lot of vignette style writing, if you will, very like scenario driven, situational. And I, I pull from a lot of different things. I do discuss a lot about how I didn't want to be a mom and about how you know, not, that's not every woman's dream and how I didn't want to get married. Like, and how I struggle with that, like how I struggle with my life because it's not what I envisioned for mm-hmm. myself. <laughs> and I know that sounds like really bizarre to hear, but I think that we have to remember not all women are created the same way and not all women want the house in the suburbs with the kid and the dog and the husband and, you know, and like, and it's like, I have that. And I'm like, Oh God, this is not where I thought I would be in my <laughs> It's like, and you have to, you have to like use what you wanted, use yeah. what you have. And then like, how, how do I work mm-hmm. all of that together? How do I mm-hmm. kind of knit all of that together? So yeah. I am, I don't wake up one day and, and like disappear. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. I think that if you aren't tr- true to yourself, how can you be true to the people that you love? And that that's just something I found helpful on my journey personally. And I have always been honesty 
and integrity above all things. And to a fault, my husband would tell me all the time, you don't need to say that. I don't need (laughs) to know that about you, right? I don't need to know you're miserable today. And I'll wake up cranky and he'll be like, I'd be like, sorry, babe. I'm going to be really snippy until I have my coffee and this kid goes to preschool because I just can't right now. And he's like, walking away from you, lady. (laughs) But you know what? Like, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about my own journey. And so- my son turned 25 yesterday, my oldest. Right. So that means I have been mom mm-hmm. for 25 years and I have a 10 year old. That's a lot. That's so a lot that's going to, that's a lot of mom. Right. So we're talking a, like almost four decades when I'm right. When they graduate at least. Right. Yeah. So four decades of giving, you yeah. know, and yeah. As I moved into probably the last, I don't know, maybe three, four years, I've really started to understand, and this is going to come full circle to our mothers and ourselves, that I had to start listening to myself Mm -hmm. or I would resent being a mom. I was able to fake it, not really, but I was able to give tirelessly for 20 years. That's a lot. Okay. That's a lot stay at home laundry. I mean, in between podcast recordings, I'm downstairs doing laundry and putting Mm -hmm. away stuff literally today. Like that's all I do. Like all I did yesterday was laundry and podcast recordings and appointments and whatever. And so for 20 years, I gave 21 probably tirelessly. Yeah. Unabashed, like no, no, nothing for self, like never went on girls weekends, never. And then my oldest daughter, who's 22, she's like, let's go on vacation together. And so we started traveling together and I started like my more of my own business. And I, and I started to give back to myself Mm. because I knew I couldn't give tirelessly and not live on this earth Mm -hmm. without living my dreams without being angry and Mm -hmm. resentful and waking up one day and disappearing. I knew that I could not continue to ignore who I was as a person. So to be the best wife, to be the best mother, I needed to travel to India. I needed to travel to Bali. I needed to start a podcast. I needed to start being Meredith so that when my kids walk in at the end of the day, I'm fulfilled. I'm excited to be their mom. I feel like I'm giving back to the earth because guess what? I'm, you know, 48 years old. I'm getting into that place, even though I had these last two kids older, I'm moving into that phase of life where I want to give back mm-hmm. where it's, it's not about just being a mom. It's not about just being a career woman. It's giving back to the world and it's giving. So all of these steps have to transpire and take place inside of motherhood for women. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that if anybody, you know, to each their own, because we Correct. all have, again, have our ways of getting through things. Some people just want to be moms. They, they love managing the household and that's their jam. And if that's how you're fulfilled, great, more power to you. But I think we lie to ourselves by assuming that that white picket fence dream is A, attainable and B, realistic. I remember my sister got pregnant with her first and he's 15 now. I said to her, she was like early 20s and it was a mess. Um, I said, you need to figure out your head before you try to raise a child. And I always knew that if I wasn't taken care of first, can only be as good to someone else as you're willing to be to yourself. And if you're not willing to be good to yourself and take time out and say, I effing need that, I'm going to go do this. It's not selfish being an individual. You were, you were 
a, a person before you had a kid, before you had a partner. Like there's nothing wrong with saying, I want to go be an individual without you. Yeah. yeah. 90% of my life is, is an individual with you, but there's some parts of my life. Like nobody questions my husband's work and what he does. No, oh, one... no, they just get it. They just go to yeah. four days in Vegas, three days yeah. in Atlanta. I mean, when I went to my trip in India, I mean, that's a long flight, you know? And so mm-hmm. we stayed for like 10 days. We traveled all over the country, my daughter and myself. It, w- it wasn't like I was there, like snorting lines of Coke. We were like doing the whole, like, like we were checking out India, right? We were eating noodles. And yeah. I remember like one of my best girlfriends was like, I cannot believe you're leaving for that long. And I felt like saying, you've been a mom for 10 years. Talk to me when they're 25. Yeah, You've been doing this for a hot minute. Like yeah. I have put my entire, my career, I put my entire life, I put everything on hold mm-hmm. and I don't want to sit here and drown myself in 30 gallons of rosé. Like <laughs> I, you know what I mean? But like, it's okay. And, and, and we're so seen as being selfish Mm-hmm. For doing the girls weekend, for going to get your toes mm-hmm. done, for going into a spa day, it's seen as indulgent. Yeah. Why in the world is it seen as, ind- I mean, to me, Mother's Day is leaving your kids and going, spending a day at the spa away from your children, you know, like right. maybe having a cup of coffee with them and then I'm out. But it's so interesting the way that we put women in these boxes, but men are allowed to go on guys weekends. They're allowed to have careers. They're allowed to work 120 hours a week because they're providers and that's their part in the household. But we're just, we're just supposed to be completely happy and fulfilled by making macaroni and cheese and helping with math. No. Well, I, I'm not, I'm not really good at either of those things. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just, right. And it's just like, God, I have dreams too, you know, uh-huh. and maybe, and you know what, maybe our moms had dreams and the society told them, no, you're going to raise kids. You're mm-hmm. going to be happy doing laundry. There's nothing else for you. I mean, in our parents' generation, they were allowed to be teachers, nurses. Mm-hmm. That's yep. it you know, teacher or nurse. I remember my mom went to her school counselor and they were like, okay, are you going to be a teacher or a nurse? And she's like, I'm going to college. You know, not those things needed nursing too, but you know what I mean? College too. But she's like, no, I wanted to be, and she became a journalist. But my thing is, is who knows how much that box that our mothers were in created the explosions that we saw, you know, or or that we felt from them, or Mm -hmm. they didn't feel like they were able to, you know, dye their hair pink or wear pink lipstick or wear a bustier or all of these things that kept that generation inside of a box. Whereas now we can wear tank tops and sports bras and fun dresses and go out dancing. And, you know, like maybe that was still in them. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm not giving excuses. I'm just kind of like walking through this with you as we're we're inside yeah. of the space. What was acceptable at the time, what they had access to, what was deemed yeah. appropriate, you know, like there's a lot of things that I say and do that I know my mom <laughs> would never have done moving across the country. Like my mom didn't do that till she was in like her fifties. And, you know, I was 22, you know, peace out guys. I'll see you later. I, just like the things that you thought were that you could accomplish. I do think that it was a lot of that, especially coming from like a small town. My, my parents were from a very small town in Pennsylvania. So very limited. What you did was get married and have babies. That's what you did. You know, you didn't go to college. You didn't do anything. So I think, I think what we do get stuck sometimes about sure women have had rights, you know, well, like earn the vote to, you 
you know, right to vote, all this stuff, but we've only had them for so long. And as you know, I mean, my mom couldn't get a credit card when she got married. It had to be in her husband's name. She was not allowed to get a credit card, my mom. And I'm sure your mom, same way. Like that's, that means you're not allowed to spend money. Right. And you can't buy property. Like in a lot of states, I think you, it wasn't until like the seventies that you could actually buy property. Land. Take a you, loan. Yeah. Or do any yeah, of that. Like you yeah, can do anything stuff. without your husband's. So that's, I mean, that's only 50 years ago, 56 years ago, where these things were, we were allowed to do them. And even when that being said, we all know that just because a rule changes doesn't mean everybody follows it right away. So there's a mental block that it does take time. People don't like change. So allowing women to be independent individuals was probably not on her for my mom or probably for yours, not on the table for them. It was this or that. And I couldn't imagine being that restricted as a human being, you know? Yeah. And watching your male counterpart do whatever they mm-hmm. want to do. You know, my dad went to law school and he's, you know, got the car and he's doing this and that. And she's, you know, raising kids. And it's probably, you know, my mom is a very free spirit. She's so bright. And so, I mean, she's just an amazing person to be that. I mean, she like we're very, very similar in our expression and our love of and zest. And to be like looking in your options being not much that, that had to, right. It had to be very, but you know, as, and as think, think the Lord that she, that our mothers are able to see and be and experience what we're experiencing right now, where they are allowed to be expressive and they are allowed to kind of, you know, um, explode if you will, and who they are. And we are now too, like, as we are knowing better, we are doing better. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why I love this series so much because I'm hitting on, I mean, we're, we're hitting everything from narcissism today, anorexia, physical abuse by spouses, sexual abuse, trafficking. We're going to be talking about in this series, sex trafficking. So there, we're going to be, yeah, it's crazy. Trafficked by her own adopted father, adoptive father. So yeah, so we're going to be hitting a lot of really heavy topics in this series. It's very intense. I feel like I need to go lay down after this conversation. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a lot to walk through. I'm sure you as well. I see your deep breaths. It's, it's a lot. But I think that that's why it's so important to have these conversations. So if there are women out there that are our generation, you know, um, I'm older than you, but still, you know, that are going through this to know that there is a 2.0, to know that there is another side, to know that. Like maybe we should have a little pause for our moms to know that we can have these, maybe hopefully have these conversations. If there's a mom out there that was abusive to their daughter and is listening to this, call your daughter and say, you know what, let's talk about this so we can stop pretending that it didn't Mm -hmm. happen. Sit there for six hours and listen to your adult grown daughter tell you, you know what? I didn't like having my hair pulled. I didn't like getting my ass beat. I didn't like being nervous every day I came home from school. That wasn't fun growing up walking on eggshells. It was awful. It was awful. And if, you know, if you're out there as a mom, it's going to be six hours of hell but you're going to get to the other side and have a completely different relationship because you cannot have an honest relationship sitting on top of a lie. No, there's always going to be a boundary up. And if you wonder if your kids have a boundary up on you, then maybe you need to revisit some of the experiences you've put them through or subjected them to or whatever it is. And just to comment on a little bit more on, you know, what women should and shouldn't be doing. We're not meant to keep our children forever. I think there's a misconception (laughs) that we own our children 
They yeah. are an extension of us. They are part of our lives. But for the women who feel bought, who might be fogged down and afraid to explore those feelings of like, I don't feel fulfilled. It's just a mom. You're supposed to grow your child into the most socially acceptable version of a human being that you can. And as we can see, society changes regularly. So just keep them empathetic and kind. And I think that that's a good start. There's my two cents that you didn't want, but you're not supposed to keep them forever. So you still need to be you and be a mom. It's just a facet of who you are. It's not the whole kit and caboodle. It's not the whole diamond. Diamonds have facets. Motherhood is one of them. And I I think that it is a hard marriage of personalities because you change so drastically as a mom and you become a mom. It's instantaneous. I just feel like it is. And that it's hard to be those two individuals together, but if you want to have like a successful, like individual rela- relationship with yourself, then I think you got to look at things from all sides and motherhood is just a facet. It's not, it's not everything. And it's okay to take a break and reset yourself. And you might need it more than you think so, than you think, especially if you've had any kind of trauma, like you being around your kid all the time because your parents neglected you doesn't mean you're a better parent than them. It means that you're doing it differently. Yeah. And don't find your worth, don't find your worth or lack of worth inside of that. You know, a working mom is not a lesser mom. And, And we just love the labels. We love, we love compartmentalizing. We love leveling all the moms up and down and all that stuff. Like the fact of the matter is, is, all of our parents did the best that they could or they would have done different. And we, you mm-hmm. know, we're doing the best that we can. I'm sure that my pa- kids have plenty to say about everything from the food I make to how much attention I pay to them and how much I'm on my phone and all this. I mean, trust me, I'm sure they can comb through quite the filter of mom's not the best, but <laughs> I'm doing my best. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. doing my best to be my own independent person, my own member of society, create them yeah. as being their members of societies, you know, society. And, and we're all, you know, doing our best and sharing our experience so that we can do better every day. Do better together. Like that is the goal. I think that's, uh, I mean, that's spot on. We know better. So we're going to do better. We, we remember how it feels to be traumatized. So why are we going to put our kids through that? And we should tell people what that is like. You might not even realize like you're emotionally abusing your child by like putting them down every time they say something. Or my biggest thing is like when parents, when kids are counting calories so long, you know, that's that like from such a young age, like I've heard that numerous times and I'm like, it's that strikes a chord with me personally, obviously, but also like they're beautiful just the way they are, you know? Let's like build our people up to have confidence in themselves and stop stop thinking about how they're not adequate enough or they're not smart enough, beautiful enough, intelligent enough, you know, outgoing ego, enough. Ego, like, ego, ego, yeah. ego. <laughs> Let's just let them be kids and like yeah. let them be the beautiful little human that we created. Like I just, I don't, certain things I just don't understand. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. And so if anyone wants to find you, Mm-hmm. They can go to Mama Knows Nada, N-A-D-A, not Mama Knows yep. Nada dot com. Mm-hmm. That's where you're, they're going to find your blog. Yeah. And what is, I'm going to have all of this in the show notes, but what is your Instagram or do you have any social that they can find you at? Yeah, I do most. Uh, I mean, you can go to Facebook dot com slash mama knows nada, or you can go to Instagram at mama dot knows dot nada. And I post a lot. It's kind of like a personal slash like professional page. I try to keep it real. Yeah. Um, an honest view into my life. I try to like 
Thai blogs into there. I just finished one about all the different types. There's a lot of types of preschools out there. Did you know that? It's crazy. No. Um, <laughs> it's like overwhelming. <laughs> and I try to like, you know, have facts or something, you know, like the months coming up, you know, there's, we all know breast cancer awareness and like ovarian cancers in September. And like, uh, I'm a freelance writer. And so I do a lot of stuff with like volunteers and volunteering charities with differently abled individuals. So kind of highlighting those things and my books connected to that positivelypenelope.com. It's about a girl in a wheelchair who wants to race. So if you're looking for something for your kids, um, that's always a cool thing to check out. I am really proud of, proud of that. I didn't know about that. I didn't have no, that in my notes. <laughs> that's, that's my bad, not yours. Oh, that's such a great. I love that. Positively Penelope. And where can we find that book? Uh, it's available on Amazon. I'm actually Amazon. revamping my site to have it be sold from there. But yeah, Amazon, you know. Of course. <laughs> I know, right? Just giving him some more money. Know, giving right? him more money. Well, I so appreciate you being here and sharing your story and kind of breaking it all down like between the two of us. It's been very cathartic. <laughs> I'm like, oh, like I just released 20 years of crap too. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah I know. We're both gonna need, need a cigarette and a martini after this, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate, I appreciate you being here so much and sharing and talking about your struggles and triumphs and getting where we're at. And I love the idea of, you know, that was me then and this is us now and really being able to compartmentalize that to be able to share your story, but not attach yourself to that energy, not attach yourself to I, I'm not that person anymore. And that's okay. You know, and, and it's okay that I had that story and I see myself that way. I did a lot of dumb shit when I was in my 20s. That I don't even pay. It's not even me, but it was, but it wasn't, but holy crap. And so I think mm-hmm. it is, we have to allow people to grow and we have to allow people to leave our past in the past mm-hmm. um, when we have done the things to move from that. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, everyone, I hope you stay tuned for the rest of this podcast series. It's going to be amazing, but thanks so much, Brianna. I appreciate you being here. I'm so happy to be part of it. And I think it's so important, again, that we share our perspectives to kind of keep us, you know, we're all one big woman community. So let's share share our brilliance and, you know, our, our pitfalls too, so that we can all move forward together. I love it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect on a more personal level, head over to MeredithWillits.com or on Instagram at Meredith with a Y for behind the scene footage and outtakes. Please subscribe and come back each week for more Meredith with a Y. Thanks again for listening. Cheers.